Hello once again to our listeners. Welcome back to the ninth episode of the IBSA Kelantan Podcast Show. Today we have with us Dr. Chung Siu-Shen, or better known as Dr. Sandy, by our University of Malaysia Kelantan students. And a little bit of Dr. Sandy's background. Dr. Sandy graduated from University Putra, Malaysia with a degree in veterinary medicine in the year 2000. She then went on to obtain a master's in veterinary medicine in theriogenology in 2002. Dr. Sandy also received her PhD in veterinary medicine from the University of Nottingham from the UK in 2016. Dr. Sandy has many notable accomplishments, including senior veterinary officer at the Department of Wildlife and National Parks headquarters in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and also deputy head of the University Interdisciplinary Research Cluster Zoonotic Disease and Public Health. She is currently a Senior Lecturer and Deputy Dean of Academic and Student Development at University Malaysia Kelantan's Faculty of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Sandy has authored numerous studies and also publications. She also has expertise in disease research, zoo and wildlife animal medicine, and exit management. Furthermore, she has studied bioinformatics and molecular characterization of mammalian transcriptomes in a variety of species, including cattle and wildlife. She is here with us today to discuss climate change and its effect on emerging zoonotic diseases. Hello, Doctor. Hello, Ada. Hello. Hope you are doing well. Yeah. Are you all right, Doctor? Are yeah, you very well? good. Thanks. Okay. So, can we proceed to the questions? So the first. Right. Okay. So, the first questions for today's episode, which is climate change and its mm-hmm. effects on emerging zoonotic disease, is that. Can you please give us a brief explanation? like how climate change can affect these emerging zoonotic diseases? All right. Um, so mainly we are concerned about the rise in temperature and precipitation. So that gives uh, pathogens a better or more suitable environment for them to survive or to thrive in. Um, so previously, pathogens are unable to survive the cold uh, in the more temperate countries. Now with the rise in temperature, um, they are much more able to survive and to spread diseases in uh, the countries that they were previously not reported in or infected people. Um, similarly, if we, there are vectors that are uh, involved, so vector-borne diseases, often these are insects or even arthropods. Again, these uh, animals, they are not uh, able to survive in cold climates. And now with the rise of temperature, they, they are able to, and uh, with them, if they are carrying diseases, they are able to uh, spread the disease in uh, previously um, not uh, areas that are, have not reported such diseases. Okay, um, and similarly for people, especially the ones that are heavily um, rely, rely on agriculture for their livelihood, so with climate change, uh, there could be extended period of times of drought. Um, so um, they are unable to continue with uh, their, for example, agricultural activities. So they may move to another areas. So together with them, perhaps there would be a movement of illness and the vectors as well. And when they move, they may encounter different people, different animals and 
there are possibility of exchanging of uh, pathogens, especially viruses, which we most of us know that they are much more readily to mutate when they encounters uh, different conditions. And uh, additionally, um, now there are more um, encroachment of people into forested areas, whether to search for um, materials for consumption or to sell, um, and as well as also more people are interested in uh, recreational activities in uh, uh, forested areas. So that uh, may increase the direct or indirect contact with infected or carriers uh, animals in uh, this location. So they may get infected. Okay. Um, again, about the temperature, there'll be melting of the permafrost. So, you know, the, the North Pole and the South Pole, they could be melting. So they that would have released dormant viruses or other um, pathogens that have not infected people or human, uh, human or animals in the recent years. So we are rather uh, naive towards them. So when they are released into the environment, so when they are frozen, they are dormant. So once they are released, uh, they are able to infect. And so basically, if um, you talk about viral infections, it's been mainly our immune system reacting to it. So sometimes uh, the, the consequences of viral infection is not the viral infection itself. Uh, it could be the aggressiveness of the our immune system fighting against the viruses that lead to uh, destruction of the organs. And or the, on the other way, because our immune system are not have not uh, been exposed to to these pathogens, so they may not be able to react fast enough. So some of these viruses, they uh, invade uh, cells, and they may, as they multiply, they may um, destroy these cells and uh, lead to perhaps again systemic failure, and eventually could, if severe enough, it could lead to death. So um, a classic example of Nipah virus back in 1990s, early 2000. So uh, epidemiology, we thought that due to the dry and hot climate uh, weather uh, led to um, possibly forest fires and the, the bats have lost their uh, food sources, which uh, made them uh, come out from the forested areas and go towards look for food and uh, unfortunately they go to orchards that is nearby the pig pumps and pigs so happens to be multiplying uh, hosts and with the increased number of viruses it was able to uh, impact humans so I, uh, I hope that kind of give you an overview of how climate change actually um, on the emerging diseases. Yeah, doctor. I understand yeah. about it. It's, mm -hmm. it's a very interesting, actually. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, moving on to the next question, mm -hmm. it's about the COVID-19 virus. So, mm -hmm. genomic sequencing revealed that the COVID-19 virus is phylogenetically related to mm -hmm. severe acute respiratory syndrome-like bat virus. So, mm -hmm. are there any theories that support this on how the virus mutated to infect humans. Okay, so um, up to today, there is 
there isn't a concrete, uh, very firm um, evidence to say that this is exactly how it happened. There are still a lot of speculation and theories. So uh, you were right. So the genomic sequencing showed that the COVID-19 is very, it resembles the bat COVID uh, RATG13 very closely, in fact, over 90%. So it's, therefore people presume that it, it originates uh, from the bats. Um, however, there are theories to say that perhaps it's not directly bat to human. It does, did not jump so uh, directly. Um, because as, uh, as we have studied virology, viruses are generally very host-specific or else we have been infected by coronavirus from all over uh, all the species. If, in fact, dogs and cats also have their own species coronaviruses as well, and we are not infected by it. Um, so the speculated would be perhaps the bats may infect the wild animals. Um, um, so basically, COVID-19, the, the evidence keep on pointing back to the wet market. So um, animals that are, uh, there's a practice in China that they consume wild animals as like uh, exotic meats or wild game meat. So when there's a assembly of uh, various, various uh, species of animals, um, there may be a massive amplifying events that occurred. So not a single event. Uh, or not even a, involving just a single species. And this is evident to, from the fact that um, the researchers found a lot of environmental samples that tested positive and not so much on the animals. Um, so this showed that there could be multiple transmission and even viral mutation. And another thought is perhaps there'll be there could be just one person that is uh, immune compromised. So because usually we will not get infected, but unfortunately this one person is immune compromised. It, it had, he or she got infected, which allowed the virus to enter and mutate in the human body. And when it, uh, is it coinc coincidentally or uh, by force nature, it became a, a variance that can easily infect human. So when you see when the viruses infect from human to human, that makes the spread so fast and less, uh, more difficult to control. Because when you talk about zoonotic diseases, if it's just directly from uh, animal to human, it is much more easier to control. But once it's have uh, changed to your, uh, is the transmission can occur between human to human then it's, it's very difficult because with human uh, animals, we can stop the movement of animals. We can, if it's severe enough, we may even uh, cull the animals, That's it, which is an unfortunate uh, consequence, but it's something that can be done to safeguard the human uh, health. So, but when we come to human to human, it's sometimes it's not even easy to uh, control human movement. So that is, uh, some of the theories that came up from uh, research from multiple agencies. Okay, doctor. Mm -hmm. So um, let's proceed to the next question. Uh, this question is relating to a monkeypox virus. Mm -hmm. So recently there is a rising concern regarding cases of this monkeypox virus mm -hmm. with a total of 92 confirmed cases in between 13 
until 21 May, which is according to WHO. So mm-hmm. how does human contact with animals related to cases such as these? All right. Um, so historically, mon- monkeypox is rather rare. rare. So it's, if there's outbreak, it's uh, concentrated in uh, Central Africa areas, unless uh, there are sporadic cases outside of Africa, but generally it's not so widespread. Um, so how it's being transmitted is, uh, this is a very, um, not only it transmits from animal to human, that's zoonotic, and once the uh, a human is uh, infected, in, in uh, he or she um, will be um, excreting the viruses um, through the uh, nasal, uh, like when people sneeze and, and cough, um, and when they develop uh, skin lesions, just like chickenpox, is quite uh, infective if we come into contact with the uh, scabs and all that. So when that happens, um, it actually can pass from human to human. So again, as I said before, if it's becoming a transmission between human to human, um, from human to human, it, it is, if it's not, uh, the source is not identified and uh, uh, controlled. So it will lead to a quite a, uh, widespread pandemic and even though the name is monkeypox the infected animals is not restricted to an- the monkeys alone in fact uh, they believe that the rodents may play a bigger role as the uh, the initial spread of disease from animals to human so um and human not just you are coming into contact with the humans if they yeah uh, if anyone get contact uh, with the um, contaminated materials such as even if we share clothings or uh, same bed or the, because the beddings will be you have the bio uh, particles there or anything that has uh, the viral particle that may uh, in, um, lead to infection so that is how um, we are not just looking at human contact with animals, uh, I believe the widespread is more likely due to human to human contact. Okay, doctor. So it's like human to human contact is uh, much is uh, more problemat- problematic issues mm-hmm. compared to like uh, animals to humans contact. Yeah, it's uh, more difficult to control. Okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, so that's it. that is all from me. So I will pass the platform to Jaya. Okay, thank you, Ada. And as for doctor, we will continue with the questions, okay? All right. Okay, so for the next question is, uh, what are some of the things that us veterinarians can do to prepare for these emerging zoonotic d- diseases mm-hmm. in regards to one health? And also the ways to mitigate climate change. Okay. Um, for emerging zoonotic diseases, uh, because as bats we have always been uh, on the being reminded, always be careful of zoonotic diseases because we are dealing with animals directly. So um, I guess for bats to be on the alert of any 
emerging zoonotic diseases, if you see something that is unusual transmission, um, um, even the, uh, something that's un unusual in the animals, and if it involves the owners, let's say the own, sometimes you do see the owners or um, they will say that, oh, I'm also having a similar symptom as my pets. So that may raise an alarm that, oh, is there a possibility of emerging genetic disease that is that could eventually lead to an outbreak? Um, um, and as vets themselves and the staff. So um, what we have been doing uh, due to pan the COVID-19 pandemic to take uh, precautionary steps to take care of hygiene, wearing a face mask, the use of disposal gloves, that could uh, protect us as uh, um, a frontliner towards this zoonotic diseases and uh, to give uh, advices to the owners and most very importantly to report to the relevant authorities for them to take further actions. And um, for us, because we take care of animal health, so through preventive medicine, we can ensure that the animals are in optimum health at most of the time, and that will lower the risk of infection. So in a way, we can try to um, reduce the risk or chances of infection. Um, on the part of mitigating climate changes, um, that would be a task that beyond us. But what we can do is uh, whatever small part that we can play, perhaps in the practices or even the household, uh, prevent wastage. Uh, I think that is quite a common uh, common uh, occurrence worldwide. Uh, not just in the, not uh, limited to the vet profession. I think that is something sometimes we take it take it as granted. Um, also to reduce uh, waste. So try not to use up too much of the our resources, even even water, even uh, electricity, because all that take a lot of energies to produce, and uh, and later to um, treat it, so that is 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 usable again. Um, even I I've just heard recently even uh, there's advertisement online um, in the radio or online, even spam emails that is kept in our email folders, we should take care of it because it's taking space and energy to keep them in the uh, email uh, email um, folders. That is quite a revolution to me. So I have thousands of emails to, to delete. Well, it will take me a few days. Um, for Malaysia, unfortunately, uh, to travel or to logistics, I mean, to get to work and all that, uh, many of us use our uh, personal vehicles. So that is not really helpful to the environment, but uh, sometimes it's, it's out of our control. So unless uh, the local or the federal government can uh, improve on the public transport, which can benefit uh, many more of us, then that, that could help. Because in fact, air pollution itself uh, could also reduce a person or even I, I would think animal will be affected as well. So a lot of air pollution, it will also uh, reduce our defense mechanism towards uh, infection. So all that will come back and benefit everyone. All right. Thank you, Doctor. And for the next question is, um, what are the approaches of 
identifying climate-sensitive infectious diseases in animals and humans, and what extent do us veterinarians play a role in it? Okay, um, so I understand that this podcast may go beyond uh, Malaysia. So for tropical countries, honestly, um, we we know that it is one of the best ecosystem for pathogens because we have the humidity, we have the uh, the nice temperature for them to survive in. Um, as vets, I guess to be aware to the pot- any potential any rise in disease diseases. Um, uh, particularly if we can identify zoonotic diseases, that is even more important. And we report to the relevant authorities for them to further investigate. Because uh, as a vet alone, um, we may not be able to do too much. Um, so we, we will um, keep to our roles of um, keeping the animals healthy. But if something that is unusual, report it. Uh, for vets in the temperate countries, perhaps to be more aware of the tropical and subtropical diseases, it could be coming their way because uh, the rise in temperature, the vectors are coming and the pathogens are more able to survive in previously uh, areas that they they cannot uh, survive in. So again, if you see anything, uh, any unusual uh, disease appearing, again, to alert the authorities, that would uh, most likely um, would get things uh, rolling to um, further prevent and control the spread. So uh, you're talking about one health with the emerging of zoonotic diseases. The they are right now the the cooperation between human and uh, veterinary medicine practitioners. And uh, also the environmental sites. It is uh, we have formed a better uh, linkages and uh, cooperation between uh, different sectors. So if let's say we alert the vets, the vets will very quickly relay the information to the medical uh, parts, and very quickly uh, we could set up. They could set up a, a task force to look into it very quickly before the condition gets. Uh, out of control. Okay. Okay, thank you, Doctor. And for our last question of the day is, uh, well, we talked about emerging zoonotic diseases, right? So what about those that re-emerge? What are the factors that make these diseases re-emerge and what are the differences in handling them compared to when they were first found? Okay. Um... So with the advancement of healthcare and uh, mass vaccination program, so some diseases have been eradicated or significantly reduced in many countries. For example, tuberculosis uh, and use of uh, discovery of uh, medication to control the diseases such as malaria. It, it was almost unheard of for, for a few, many years, in fact. Because um, I remember in the 70s, uh, people are very worried about malaria. But when it comes about in the 90s, 80s, late 80s, there wasn't that much of uh, cases. Then now, malaria is up again. So um, it is related to perhaps uh, increased um, 
in vectors, um, increase in uh, contact with the potential carriers. Well, like you know now, malaria is the monk people, uh, laymen would call it monkey malaria, or we know this as plasmodium nodi. So it's a new type of uh, malaria that comes from uh, uh, non-human primates. So um, on the other note, um, when you talk about, just now we mentioned about monkey virus. So previously, uh, when uh, worldwide uh, efforts to eradicate smallpox, so many of the population were vaccinated against uh, smallpox, and the study have showed that this vaccine actually uh, 85%, up to 85% um, effective against monkeypox. So in a way, perhaps if people are exposed to monkeypox, they were not uh, infected. So with the eradication of smallpox, I would say if not worldwide, most of the countries in the world, um, many countries have stopped vaccination program for perhaps even 40, 50 years, depending where you are. Or, but I would say in the last 20, 10, 20, 10 to 20 years, we have not really been actively um, administering smallpox vaccine. So that could lead to uh, the population become more vulnerable to monkeypox infection. Although uh, luckily from what we have seen so far, monkeypox does not uh, lead to a very severe um, disease condition. So obviously you have the uh, scar like if we get uh, chickenpox, but it's not deadly as smallpox. Um, what else? Perhaps travels, whether for leisure or for work, they are increased. Except for during the past two to three years, where uh, international borders were closed, uh, people are traveling again. And uh, even before that, we see that uh, perhaps foreign workers may bring uh, diseases from endemic countries into a country that uh, with very low incidence. That could be a possi uh, possibility. And during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, most of our resources and efforts were put into fighting COVID-19 and some of these uh, diseases may be slightly neglected in a way because most of our efforts are going to only one area. So um, there will not be that much of difference uh, battling the, these diseases because it is something that we already been dealt with. So uh, we need to identify the viruses, uh, epidemiology to pinpoint where are the resources and uh, carry out mitigation measures. So perhaps there's a need of studies to see whether the previous protocols and uh, control measures, pandemic measures, is it still effective? Because I don't know, perhaps if these viruses would have mutated and the vaccines are no longer uh, effective, so might need to develop new vaccines. And if it's serious enough, to resume vaccination program that was uh, that has that we have stopped because the the disease is no longer around. But now they came back, so we, we might have to start vaccinating the population again, build out the herd immunity, and perhaps even uh, development of new medicine if these uh, uh, pathogens, especially like bacteria, they have developed uh, antimicrobial resistance against the existing medication. So that those are a few of the um, measures that we can take to uh, combat re-emerging zoonotic diseases. Okay. 
Okay, thank you, Doctor. Thank you so much for all the insight just now, Doctor. And there is no doubt that climate change implicates the emerging diseases. We we all play an important role in this by working hand in hand with other from different fields or in the same. One can together reduce the emerging zoonotic diseases. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Doctor, and also to the team. Thank you to all of our YouTube viewers for watching and to our Spotify listeners for tuning in to every episode. Be safe out there and take care of yourselves. Thank you very much, Doctor. And also thank you, Jaya. Thank you, Doctor, and thank you, Ada. Alright, thanks for inviting me. Uh, for inviting me, so I hope uh, I, I am able to answer your question and increase the understanding on uh, climate change and um, zoonotic diseases. So have a good day.